welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Tim Keller once tweeted, If I have that, my life will have meaning. I'll have value and feel significant and secure. Whatever or whoever that is, it's the object of your worship, your idol. Is it Jesus or is it something or someone else? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Freedom with the third part of the message Free from Sin, which covers Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Thank you for joining us today. If you've been around this church very long, you've heard the term journey group. Now, a journey group is a group of men that meet together regularly or a group of women that meet together regularly, and it's the idea of furthering the spiritual journey of life. Uh, we do something at the very front end of that journey, and uh, it's called journey of faith. It's pretty interesting. We have a, a little chart. Everybody fills it out. It's a graft, really, and the graft is going to graft one's spiritual or religious experiences of life. So it starts at birth. It goes through present. On the upside of the, of the graph, you can uh, start in the middle, which is kind of neutral, and anything south of that would be negative experiences, anything Above it would be positive experiences. And, and people draw their graph of their spiritual pilgrimage. And we say, if you know when you came, became a Christian, would you put a little star at that place on the graph? And that way, this will be the, where you best believe probably you became a Christian. If you don't know where the star is, but you know you're, you're his, that's fine too. Uh, if you're not even a Christian and you don't know yet, you're still you're in the group, but you're kind of early on and not confident of your faith, and Okay, that's fine too. Just tell us your story. Now, what I've noticed that there is a lot of similarity among Southerners that fill theirs out. This is the way it typically starts. You start on the, on the neutral, and, uh, and they have a relatively good experience. Church wasn't bad. It was okay and whatever through childhood and so forth. And then they hit 12 years of age. And at 12 years of age, they put their star and they say, I became a Christian and joined the church when I was 12 or 11 or 13, somewhere in that time period. And then everything kind of meanders, kind of flat line, not much better, you know, but not, not worse. And until they hit about 19 and then they explain their graph. Then I was 19 and I went to the University of Georgia <laughs> and it goes... I mean, just crashes at the bottom. And then when they get out of Georgia and some period later, they, they meet somebody that's, you know, a good person and they, you know, are introduced maybe to good things religiously and it kind of comes back up and they start going to church or whatever. And then at 38 or whatever their age is, maybe a year previous to the time that we're meeting, and they say, and here is where I think... I became, you know, really dedicated my life to God in a new way and came back to my faith. Now, I think we would all agree there's something wrong with that story. We're not sure exactly why it happens, how you describe it, what really was going on in life, not sure. But we do know this, there's something wrong with that graph. Shouldn't be that way but most often is. If you want to understand why that happens, then what you need to do is understand Romans chapter 6. It's the answer. I'm going to come back at the very end of this message, and I'm going to 
allow us all, I hope, to put two and two together and it's going to equal four. And all of a sudden we'll go, ah, now I think I understand why flatline, flatline, flatline. And now all of a sudden, here I come. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Some of you are new with us, and if so, this is the third week in Romans 6, and it's the last week in Romans 6. We will have covered through these three weeks the first subject matter in the broader topic of freedom, which is what the series is entitled. Romans 6 and 7 covers the topic of freedom. What is real freedom? Well, to know freedom, we have to know two things, freedom from sin, and that's what chapter 6 is about. Romans chapter 7 is about freedom from the law, which is a second understanding of freedom we have to have. Then thirdly, he's going to talk at the end of chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writing on the inspiration of God. He is going to then explain to, now once you've understood these two freedoms, know this, now, now you're free to struggle with sin. And he'll define the struggle, the what's and the why's of it. These are three very important subject matters. But this particular portion in Romans chapter 6, it's where you understand the Christian faith. It's where you really understand how to live the Christian faith. And so with that, a very, very quick review. Our text started in the first two verses with a rhetorical question. The question was simply, how shall we who have died to sin, and we said death means separated. We've been separated from sin, meaning the sin nature. How shall we, who have died to sin, still go ahead and live in it? There's the graph. Oh, I died to sin here, but now I'm just just plummeting into sin. But I'm a Christian, and Paul says, how is it that that would ever happen? And by the way, he's not saying it can't happen. He's saying it is so ridiculous, it is so absurd, it's just amazing that it could or ever would happen. But oddly enough, it's the norm in the groups that I've had. It just happens over and over and over and over. It's not like the wild exception. It seems to be the norm. So in the verses that follow, There is an understanding that if we are in Christ, meaning we've become a Christian, we're now placed in a relationship with Christ, our identity is with him, then we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning we've been united with Jesus and we have been now given the capability because of his indwelling spirit to actually be filled with the spirit. And he talks about, we we just get a full understanding of the Christian faith. and, And so that's kind of the first number of verses. We, we said then that there are three words that really unlock the whole of chapter 6. And the three words are the words know, consider, and present. K-N-O-W, know. Know, consider, present. And we walked through first week the majority of what we have to know. We discussed that. And we said in the first 10 verses that basically it's that we have to know that we've been baptized with Jesus. Now, if, if you here are a recovering Baptist, which is probably a lot of us, I married a great Baptist, trust me, and I'm not negative to Baptist at all. 
But I'll say this, that often many of us coming from different places think when we hear baptism in scripture, it means water. And this is not water at all. It's a baptism with Christ has nothing to do with water. The word literally means to be identified. And it says, do you not know that you've been identified with Christ? We use this idea of the fist. We came united to a sin nature and we died to sin. And then we talked about how we're now united with Jesus, how we're raised up to newness of life. And we discussed that. And, and basically he's saying, Christian, do you understand this? That you are identified, your identity is with Jesus. In his death, you die. In his burial, you're buried or united with Jesus. In his resurrection, you're raised to a newness of life. And he, and he, he says, this is what you're all about here. You have been identified now with Jesus. So you don't now find your primary identity in your, in your school. You don't find it in your, in your team. You don't find it in your business. You don't find it in your family. You don't find it in your ministry. You don't find it in your health. You don't find, no, no, no. Those are, that's not your identity. Your identity is with Jesus. So he's describing this thing called salvation as something way different than just, oh, I've decided to follow Jesus. I think that's the best religion and I agree with it and I'm going to now do it and I'm going to follow it. I'll be a good Christian now on. And no, 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 no. That is not what it is. So he said, now, once you understand that, you've got to consider those things that you know, your identity in Jesus. You've got to consider. The word literally means to take into account. He says, so take into account how absurd it would be for your story to be that here's my star and then boom, I started really living in sin. No, no, no. It should be the other way around. Here's my star. Now look what happened. I've been raised to a newness of life. That's the way it should be reading. But for some reason, so often it doesn't. He says, would you consider the absurdity, but would you also consider the reality? And you got to know this, that you are free from your sin nature. You do not have to sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that ever comes to us that God doesn't give us a means of escape. Now, because we're in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, we need to consider this, that if I'm doing this, I'm plummeting down in my sin, it's not because I have to. I can turn it around if I'm really a Christian. He's saying, consider that. But what you really most importantly need to consider, consider your identity with Jesus, your death, burial, and resurrection. Know and understand. That's why the word know, K-N-O-W, uses it three times in 10 verses. No, no, no. You've got to know your identity. So important. Then last week we got into the, the topic of present, which is where we end today. Our text that we pick up in today is going to continually kind of unfold this whole idea of the presenting concept. It gives a lot of understanding to it. We said last week that it takes an informed mind and a surrendered heart. That's why Paul begins with the mind and now he's moving to the heart and he's saying it takes an informed mind, but there's got to be a surrendered heart. Or, or you're never going to learn and effectively enjoy the freedom God has for you. The two always have to go together. So I introduced a prayer at the end of the service last week. It's a prayer that I pray multiple times a day. I have some routine set times, and then I pray it multiple times, usually during the day, as I need it here and there. But this prayer is basically taking the three 
words that are keys, and I use them to kind of unlock the knowledge that I have to just use it as a time to consider and to make a presentation to the Lord. Now, by the way, the, uh, the people of, of the ancient uh, Christian world, many of way, way, way back, used to have a practice that was called divine office. Divine office. And uh, it was uh, what they considered then an ancient treasure. Now, the word office is used because it means work in the Latin, and it refers to the work of God. And some of these great uh, spiritual leaders of the past would say, I need certain times to go to the office, but this is divine office. And take three minutes, five minutes, 12, whatever you want to choose, take a short period of time, and I need to recenter. And what they would do, they would consider what they knew, and then they would make a presentation of their life yielding control to the Lord. Rather than start the day and everything's forgotten and come to night and say, woo, where did that day go? And ooh, I guess I didn't. Uh... And, and what we realize if we're really truthful is we're living off of, off of willpower all day long as Christians. As opposed to appropriating the power of the Spirit and finding strength to live in God's power. So for my office, I have three times kind of set during the day that I, that I try to you know, acknowledge and it may be shifted, particularly the, the second one, the middle one during the day gets shifted a bit here and there, but it's just a few minutes. But divine office is very important. Here's the prayer that I pray every time. This is, begins my prayer. I just say, resolved to consider what I know. So I flip those words around because really his teaching is, here's what you know, now consider it. So consider what I know. And at that time, I'll just stop for a minute. And I'll say, Lord, I'm resolved to consider what I know. And I'll take my hands off and I'll say that, that I died to sin and I've been united to you and I've been raised to a newness of life. Wow, what a, what a good knowledge to keep bringing back, to remember, to consider what I know. And then I'll follow up and say, and I present to you the members of my body and its instruments as instruments of righteousness. And there I'll stop and say, Lord, so... I want to begin with the two big ones for me, my mind and my heart. I want to give those to you, but, but also my hands, what I, what I do, my feet, where I go, my eyes, what I see, my ears, what I hear, my mouth, what I say. But Lord, here are my members. I just want to say, I want to give myself to you. I'm surrendering now. And I, and I have to keep in mind what I know. Well, what do I know? I know this. You remember the push-up illustration? I can't. Lord, I know that you can. And Lord, I know that I need to now say, please do. And there's my little prayer. Boy, does it, it kind of gets me back to center. And I will drift, drift, drift very quickly. So even before my next divine office, I'll have to stop here and there and say, Lord, I've, I'll give you back my eyes. I just look where I shouldn't look. Oh, I just give you back my mouth. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, I give you back whatever it is. Think about it maybe as they did in years past, a need for divine office. Now, in verses 15 through 23, our text that we're coming into, there are going to be many parallels and similarities with the first 14 verses. In fact, you'll find it interesting, uh, the first verse and the 15th verse, the beginning verses, all start with, what then? Kind of raises the subject, what then? And then raises a, a uh, hypothetical question that is important. A rhetorical question, actually. And then, if you looked at verse 2 and 15, you'll see the response is the same to the question, 
God forbid, is literally what it's saying. God forbid. If you looked at verses 3 and then verse 16, you would see them then kicking off with this concept, do you not know? And so he keeps going back. It begins with knowledge, but then you'll see the word present come several more times in the rest of the text. Now, the first 14 verses, again, they're going to be really, do you not know that through faith you're united with Christ? Now, in these next verses, he's going to say, now, do you not know that through your surrender, there's the presentation, do you not know that through your surrender that now you are a slave to God? And he introduces now the subject of slavery, and that's going to be the rest of the text. So I've made it as simple as I can to give you the big, big, big picture. If you want me to say, give you, all right, what would be the, literally, the, the, uh, the main point of what's being said? He's saying, once you have a master, you have no choice but to obey. Now, we really do have a choice, but practically speaking, without moving into absurdity, you really have no choice. You put your star you're saying, I have a master. Now, really, there's no logical choice, but if it's my master, to obey my master. If there's no star, then, okay, sin is still my master. And he's going to show the two different masters. There are only two. There's God and there's sin. Now, he starts with verse 15. Here's the rhetorical question that he starts with. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And what he's saying there is because we're not under keeping the law for our salvation, but are under grace, given a gift of our salvation. And there he says, God forbid, or may it never be. No, 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 no. That just wouldn't make sense at all. When he comes to the next verses, 16 and following, I think really there are four teachings. There are four truths that uh, I think can be made very, very simple. It's a long text, but I'm going to make it as simple as I know how to make it. I'm going to give you four statements that summarize the teaching of all these verses. These four teachings are these four truths. They really are critically necessary to understand our salvation and the freedom that goes with the salvation. This will help you understand the great logic to the surrendered heart. So let's give you the four very quickly and then I'm going to close and I'm going to share a little bit of a perspective about why that line drops so quickly for so many. Number one, every person is a slave. Verse 16. Verse 16 uses that word present again. It says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are a slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So I want to encourage you here that are seekers. That means you're seeking to understand what is this Christian faith all about? I, I hope you would never, ever, ever say this. You say a lot of things against the faith or whatever, but, but, but this you would not want to say. You know what? I don't want to become a Christian, even though I, I understand and kind of believe that it may be real. But I really don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to give up my freedom. 
No, 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 no. You don't, there's no such thing. Everybody's a slave. You're a slave either to sin or to God. There's a fellow that I went to high school with, really attractive, sharp, athletic uh, fellow. And uh, uh, we weren't close friends, but, but we played on the same team together and this, that, and the other. We were together a lot, liked each other, no, no conflict between us. But he was the classic illustration uh, in our high school of the Hellraiser. And he, he just, he literally had fun. I mean, that was what his life was all about. I had just come to faith and I'm kind of growing up as a Christian and my life's changing and I'm wrestling with the issue of who is my loyalty to and I'm trying to follow the Lord and so forth and I know my life's changed and, and uh, so we're kind of in different camps within the high school. We go to the same university and I don't see him for a, probably a year and a half into school and we bump into each other going to classes one day and, and he initiated a conversation after we just greeted. He said, you know, I've been thinking of you a bit lately. And I thought, that's odd. I said, and, and why is that? He said, I don't know. I'm going through some hard times in my life. It's just, a, it's been a rough, I don't know. I, I'm just confused about some stuff. And I don't know. I've just kind of thought maybe I watched you a little bit. And, you, you know, you weren't like some of them that were kind of turnoffs in, in being religiously, you know, whatever. But uh, it looked like maybe you might have had something. And I thought, I don't know. I'd just love to hear kind of a little bit about it. Oh, and I said, well, let's, let's get together. So we set an appointment to meet, and we did. And we were in his apartment, and I, I remember talking to him that night. I said, I said, well, you know, tell me a little bit more about it. And he said, well, my life's kind of, I don't know, things I'm doing, this is, these are the consequences and whatever, whatever. And, and uh, I don't know, I think maybe you might have something I'd just like to know about it. And I said, well, I, I think you pinpointed it, but let me tell you what it is. These are my words. I said, it's really not what you see me doing. It's what you see Christ in me doing. I have a relationship, I believe it's real, and that Christ has come into my heart, and that's what you've seen the changes in my life. I think that's what you're talking about. He said, I think it may be. And he was so open, and I thought, boy, this guy's prime ready. And when I walked through and explained it, I said, what do you think? He said, I think you're right. I, I agree with what you're saying. I said, would you like to, to, uh, to have this yourself? And, and he said, I, I really would. And I'm thinking, wow, so ready. I said, would you like to right now initiate a birth of a relationship and to invite him to kind of take your life as I did years ago? He said, no, 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 no. He was very exact. I, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, oh, I thought, well, what's the problem? He said, well, here's my problem. I believe it and I know it's probably real, but I don't want to lose my freedom. I don't want to be I don't want to be restricted. I don't want to be put into having to be a type of person and do these. I just don't want all that stuff. Never came to faith. Do you know, I just saw him this last year at my 45th, two years ago or so, at my 45th high school reunion. And I went to him. I said, hey, John, tell me about life. How are you doing? I think it was the third divorce. I think it was, I heard a story and I went, oh, my goodness. And you think you didn't want the faith of Christendom because you didn't want to lose your freedom? I'm thinking, you're the classic story of slavery, but it's slavery to sin. And look at its consequences. So you're going to see what Paul's going to say. The consequences, they, it, it's not good. It ends in death, in fact, as opposed to the benefits, as he'll close with, of slavery to God. So number two, if you look at number two, it says simply that every Christian once was a slave to sin. 
It begins in verse 17. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin. So he acknowledges that everybody at some point, you know, was a slave to sin. All of us have been, if not still. Now, what we do need to know and uh, need to understand this, that there are two different expressions of people who are slaves to sin. Uh, The first group of people would be what I would call the boring, self-righteous slaves to sin. They just go about it in a very boring way. They live a very good life. The motives are no different from the heart than anybody who is not, you know, moving in that direction. But they're still slaves to sin. And so they're just kind of boring about how they do it. Then there are those that are very bold and enthusiastic slaves to sin. Oh, it looks good? Oh, I'll look at it. It feels good? Oh, I'll give it a shot. Let me try it. Boy, let's live life. Let's go have it. Now, these people, by the way, look at the first category of slaves to sin who are the boring type, and they go, what a turnoff. What a turnoff. They may look at the genuine Christian and probably not say you're a turnoff, even as my friend didn't say I was a turnoff, but he basically says, but you're an alien. You're just weird. You're different. How come you live like, how come you don't do this? How come? I, well, I just didn't make, now, we may appear as aliens, but we're not turnoffs if we live the Christian life appropriately. But what we need to know is that God looks at both as just slaves to sin. And we say, oh, that's a better slave than this. No, 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 no. You see, those that are bold, enthusiastic slaves, yeah, they're worse. But those boring ones, they're just worse off. They don't even know their need because, after all, they're not living in slavery like the others. No, slavery is slavery. And that's all he's saying. You have a master. It's the same master. Your master is sin. Number three, teaching, simply is this. Every Christian has been freed from sin so as to become slaves of righteousness. If you are released from slavery to sin, you become a slave of God, which should take us to righteousness. And so it's just basically saying, having become obedient, which is the term that's in the tense, which is a past tense, aorist, which means a once and forever. It's happened. That's what's called being made righteous being made righteous, freed from sin. Now, here's the thing. Before we look at number four, I want you to understand. You see, it's we're no longer a slave to sin because we have been freed by dying to sin. Not because we prayed a prayer, even sincerely, to receive Jesus. I'm going to close with that. We'll come back. Let's look at number four. Every Christian is responsible to preserve his or her freedom. Now we're in the last verses, 19 through 23. And what he's going to say here is now, if you are a slave to God, then live out who you are, which is going to translate into righteousness. It's going to translate into eternal life. If you're a slave to sin, then live as a slave to sin. My goodness, don't be boring about it. If you're going to be a slave, be enthusiastic. Go after it. Now, the consequences are still the same, but he says this just doesn't make sense. So, verse 19, he uses that word presenting again. He says, I am speaking in human terms. 
because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, that is, when we were in sin, resulting in further lawlessness, which shows the progressiveness of any slavery. There's going to be progressive, uh, progressive uh, uh, continuation. Resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness now resulting in sanctification, which is more and more and more being set apart unto Christ. So it's either when you are a slave to sin, it's going to keep going down, 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 down. When you're a slave to God and you're surrendering and presenting, boy, it's going to lead to sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. The line now goes up. So basically, he says that's the way it is. Now here are the benefits Or the consequences that come. Verses 20 and following. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So you couldn't be righteous when you were slaves of sin. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin as a result enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Here they are. Resulting in sanctification more and more like him. And the outcome, eternal life. And that very familiar closing verse, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now it draws me to the conclusion. As we conclude, here we come back to the journey of faith. Here's this journey of faith that's, you know, level, 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 and then plunges down. Why in the world would that happen? It's because so many come into the Christian faith and they only hear the ideas of Christianity is, all right, I'll follow Jesus. I believe Jesus is the best person to follow. I like Jesus. He's good. I'll follow Jesus. And there it is. For some, there may well be a true understanding of sin, repentance, and real faith, but they don't know the Christian life. They're not learning what Paul is saying in chapter 6. There's just no understanding. And so it's just, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Let's go, willpower. Let's go. And it doesn't work. As opposed to saying, no, 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 no. No, what happened to me then, I knew, I understood, and I've considered the reality that I've been separated from a nature of sin And I've been raised to a newness of life with a power that I have being united with Jesus. And now there's a whole different understanding. For some people, the idea is I'm a Christian. Why? Because I prayed to receive Jesus and I was sincere. I'll here take a page out of the training that I offer to the church here called Express Your Faith. We need to all know this. Do you know, biblically speaking, it is very, very possible to pray sincerely to receive Jesus into your heart and him not come into your heart. Many a Christian hears that and goes, oh, I didn't think that was possible. If you're sincere and you invite Jesus in your heart, he may not, no, he may not come in. Absolutely not. Well, what about, but there was, I, I pray I was sincere, I did no, no, no. What does is, what is Matthew 7 say? Jesus says, many of, many of you will come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, Did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, perform any miracles in your name? He could might as well throw in there and pray to receive Jesus in your name. And Jesus says to them, but I'll say to them at that time, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. 
What happened? They didn't lose their faith. They never had it. Let me just kind of put it this way. If, well, Carol and my story of dating, some of you know that we dated for four years and and I was kind of a slow comer uh, about the understanding of where we should be in a relationship and all. And at year four, she finally says, do you see a future? Do you see us ever getting married? And I, I did. And I told her when it was a long time out. And there were reasons why I felt it would be a long time out, which did change. But I thought then it would be. Now, here's where the story is not real. And so if you've been asleep and you wake up, please now hear, you know, <laughs> please just everybody wake up because this, I want to hear you. This is not true from this point on. But let's assume that I, my answer to her is, why not now, sooner, after dating four years? And I said, well, because I enjoy my freedom. I love being free to date. And I am free to date, and you are. We don't use that freedom a lot, but we're free. And, and you know, there's uh, Rebecca, and there's uh, Jenny, and, and I, I go out with them from time to time, not a lot, but some, and I want to keep that freedom. She says, well, I understand that. Then the next night, let's say I'm with her and I say, Carol, I got a question for you. What's that? Will you marry me? What? After that, I said, I know, I thought about it last night and I thought, I'm crazy not to marry you. She says, you really want to get married? I said, I really want to get married. And she says, yay, no more Rebecca, no more Jenny. And I go, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 let me explain. I want to marry you, but I'm going to keep dating them. And may find some new people, even beyond them, that I want to date. <laughs> now, what's the likelihood? She said, well, look, good, at least we're going to get married. No. She'd say, there is no way. She'd say, out of here, big boy. And that would be it at that moment. There would be no more. Do you think our great God would do any less? Oh, I want to marry you. Yeah, I want to marry you. She might say to me, Randy, you're not sincere. Even as God may well say, you're not sincere. I'd say to, to her at that point, oh, I am sincere. You watch. I will come to the wedding, and I will, I will go through the marriage. I am sincere about this. Yeah, I'm sincere. But the reality is, God would say to us, no. Carol would say to me, well, Randy, why in the world do you want to marry me, and, and you're going to still keep dating? And I go, well, Yeah. Carol, you have no idea how these two cook. They are terrible cooks. <laughs> their cleaning of their apartment is terrible. You keep a clean. Sure, I want you. Why would I not want you? That would repulse her. Absolutely not. There are many a person that's walking down the aisle in their religious experience, and they're saying, Lord, I'm ready to get married, and here I go. And we say what we're supposed to say to be married. Well, there's no marriage. I use the illustration of when you fall in love. The reality is, it's a ceremony. I'll, I'll use Jeff here as an illustration. And Jeff, I know when you, when you met Rachel, you're quite attracted, very, a beautiful woman and all. But at the very minute you met her, would you say you loved her at that moment? Okay, he says no. Here's the second question, Jeff. Uh, this one, I have to give you permission to lie if you need to, Okay. <laughs> Do you love her now? He says yes, but he may be lying. We don't know. So anyway, he says he does. Now, here's the next question. Can you tell me not just the year, but the day of the year and the time of that day that you started loving her? Can you tell me when that was? You can't do it, can you? No. 
But let me ask you this. When you got to the ceremony for marriage, did you know then you loved her? Absolutely. You see, the prayer to receive Jesus is beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. But it's a prayer. It's a ceremony, just like a wedding ceremony is. And you come to the ceremony because of a love you're convinced you have. And that's when you say, Lord, come into my heart. But we don't even know when that happens. Do you know I may die when I go to heaven? Say, Lord, thank you that on August the 15th, and give the date when I prayed to receive Jesus and all, he may say to me, Randy, it was not August the 15th of that year. No, it wasn't. What? No, actually, it was the previous June, the 11th. That's when you fell in love with me. You had your ceremony a little after that, but it was a beautiful occasion. It was wonderful. I'm glad you did it. Or he may say, you know, it wasn't that August the 15th. It actually was the, the next December the 4th. What? Well, yeah, you went to the ceremony a little premature, but you know what happened? You started getting in my word after that. Some people followed you up and began to show you the truth. And, you know, it was then that you actually became a real Christian. You fell in love with me. It's very important to understand that's, it's not praying a prayer. Even when we pray a prayer in a sincere manner, I don't even think we understand our own sincerity. So I close with this. It's a story I've shared before in another sermon series, and, but I, it's worth telling it because I think it, for you that are newcomers particularly, it'll help. My youngest son, David, was just as fine a, a son. You couldn't want anybody better. We were close, and we'd go out for have our little breakfast together once a week and, and pray and talk about life and get in the scriptures for a few minutes. And he seemed to enjoy it a lot. And he's midway through high school. And one day he looks at me and he says, Dad, you need, to, you need to be praying for me. I said, I pray for you daily. He said, no, no, I mean, you need to really be praying for me. I said, why? He said, because I'm doing some really bad things. And I said, what do you mean? And he was doing some really bad things. And as he started walking through them, I said, okay, I got it. I said, what's the problem? And he said, well, the problem, Dad, is I don't want God. I said, you don't want God? He said, now, don't get me wrong. No, I want to want God. I just don't want him. Right now, I want the world. And it's so attractive. And I know where it's taking me. And I know what's going to happen. And I don't want the conclusion. So I'm just saying, Dad, pray for me that I would want God, not just want to want him. So I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. David, are you a Christian? Well, he came up, what? Dad, you know I'm a Christian. I said, oh, I do. I don't know you are. How do you know? He said, because I know, I remember when I was in the such and such grade and I was with so-and-so and I prayed to receive Jesus and I know I was sincere. I didn't say a word. I just looked at him and I made a noise. I stared at him and I said, <laughs> he looked at me and said, what is that? I said, oh, that's the buzzer. It means you got the wrong answer. He said, what do you mean? I said, do you know that there's nothing in the Bible that looks backward to find out if somebody's a Christian? It always looks to present tense, and it's called fruit. I'm not the judge of your heart. I don't know well, but I'm just saying, I don't see fruit. Well, I am. I know I am. I'll never forget. On Christmas break, while he was in college, he came home midway through college or so, and I remember him saying, he said, Dad, you were right. I said, about what? He said, I was never a Christian. I said, really? What makes you say that now? He said, because I just became a Christian. And I now know the difference. You see, he became a slave to God. Not just prayed a prayer that would cover him. He became a slave. Seeker, know this. Christianity is not just, okay, I'll follow Jesus. It's becoming a slave. The good news is you lose your slavery to sin. 
and you become a slave to God, which translates to righteousness and it translates to eternal life. If you don't see it performing sanctification in your heart, then go back and say the ceremony was maybe a little premature and make sure there is true salvation. Christian, I hope you've learned how to live the Christian life. And whether you use the word know, consider, and present does not matter. But you know those truths. Go back to the truths they represent and the surrendered heart. And you see if you don't find God's power a whole lot different than living by willpower. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving to us the truth of salvation through the great apostle Paul, we are thankful. And lead us into that truth now. If not believers, grant us to be able to right now see the cross, see the love that that cross represents, and to find ourselves falling in love to sanctification and to eternal life. And Father, we thank you for the great privilege as Christians to know the truth that sets us free. Bless we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.